Last week we began talking about a fruitful life, how you can live a fruitful life that is in keeping with what God's plan and purpose for you really is. I came to know Jesus when I was a child. I was about eight years old. And really from that moment on, I really wanted to serve the Lord. I wanted, there was part of me that wanted to obey God, wanted to please God. I wanted to do what he wanted me to do. And I know that you feel the same way. From the moment you came to know Christ, there was part of you that wanted to serve God. And, and you've, you've been that way ever since you came to know Christ. I mean, that is the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in us. And so if you're truly a child of God, there is a part of you that wants to be fruitful. You want to serve God. You want God to be glorified through your life. And so it started for me when I was eight years old. And I tried the best that I knew how. I tried as best I could to try to live for God. The problem is I failed miserably. Miserably. And then after I would fail, then I would feel guilty. I would feel ashamed. And then if it went on long enough, then I would begin to feel hopeless. And I would begin to think, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know why I can't do better. And then I would get hopeless and I would sort of give up. And then the Holy Spirit of God in me wouldn't let me stay that way. He began to convict me. He began to prod me. And so then in response to that, I would rededicate my life to Christ. I can't tell you how many times in a service like this, when I was growing up, the invitation was given at the end of the service. I would step out in the aisle. I would walk to the front, kneel at the front, and I would recommit my life to Jesus Christ. And I would say something to the effect, Lord, if I wasn't sincere last time, I am sincere now. It's best I know how. I really want to live for you. And I would get up with resolve and with determination that this time will be different. And maybe I would redouble the efforts. But inevitably, I would fail again. Then I would feel guilty. Then I would feel ashamed. Then I would feel hopeless. I would give up. I'd get convicted. I'd recommit, redouble the efforts, and fail again. And, and I went through that cycle over and over and over again. I came to the conclusion that I just could not live the Christian life. Have you ever come to that conclusion? Because my experience is your experience too. There's none of us can live it. Every one of us is a child of God. We gave our life to Jesus at some point, And when you gave your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit came inside of you, gave you a new nature, a new set of desires, a new heart that makes you want to serve God, but you don't have the power to serve God. You try, you fail, you feel guilty, you recommit, you try, you fail, you give up. We're all in that boat. Even the Apostle Paul described his experience the same exact way. In Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 15, 
the Apostle Paul says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, that's what I wind up doing. And if I do what I do not want to do, then I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. Does that sound like you? I have the desire to do what's good, but I just don't have the power to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, that's what I keep on doing. Does that sound familiar? That is the plight of every true child of God. Now, for many, many years of my life, because of that battle and that struggle that I felt, that desire to do good, but no power to do good, I sometimes doubted my salvation. I sometimes thought, well, I must not be saved because truly, if I was saved, I wouldn't keep living like this. I wouldn't keep having this defeat. But the truth is that that presence of that battle, the desire to do good, even though you don't have the power to do good, that presence of that battle is an evidence that you are saved. Because if you didn't have the Holy Spirit in you, you wouldn't even have the desire to live for Christ. But the desire to live for Christ comes from him And the great news is the power to live for Christ comes from him too. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, how you can begin to experience victory and fruitfulness in your life. How you can begin to experience this supernatural life because the Christian life is not natural to you and me. For you and me to live like Jesus is going to take a miracle. It's going to take supernatural power. But the good news is that power is already available to you if you just know how to apply these truths we're going to talk about today, then you can begin to live starting today. If you're not already doing so, you can begin today to live a supernatural life where you don't have to be characterized anymore by this up and down failure cycle of guilt and shame and hopelessness, you can begin to live in consistent victory and it can start instantly today. That's what I'm praying for you. It's what I'm praying for those who are watching that God will open your understanding today. In Ephesians chapter five, verse 18 tells us the key to this victorious, fruitful life. It says in verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, which means reckless living or wastefulness. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Just leave that up there for a moment if you don't mind. Be filled with the Spirit. Well, I started hearing about the person of the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit of God who lived in me could bring about this supernatural life, that he could help me begin to live in a way I couldn't live without him. 
I began to hear about that when I was about 15, 14, 15 years old. And I remember being a little confused about this word filled. I kept hearing people say, be filled with the Spirit. Well, when I thought of filled, I thought of like something like an empty glass and somebody taking a, a pitcher of some kind and pouring something in that empty glass and filling it up. So I had this mental picture that if I was going to live the Christian life, the victorious Christian life, that I, I was empty and I needed the Spirit of God to somehow come into me. I needed to be filled with something that I didn't have. That was what I thought. So I thought maybe I don't have the Spirit or maybe I don't have enough of the Holy Spirit or maybe I need another blessing, a second blessing, or maybe I need some spiritual gift that I don't have that will help me become, you know, able to live this Christian life. So I thought I was defeated because it was something I didn't have that I needed, but that's not what the word means. The word filled here really means to control. Just like wine, when a person gets drunk on wine or any kind of alcoholic beverage or any kind of narcotic or drug or whatever, whatever somebody is, is drunk on that or intoxicated, it means they're being controlled by something else. And when they are controlled by wine or whatever it might be, they begin to do things that they don't normally do. They're, they begin to act differently because they're controlled by something else. Now, to be filled with the Spirit means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's sort of like if we say to someone or say of someone, well, that person was filled with rage. We don't mean that this person was empty of rage and then somebody came along and poured rage in them. We mean that this person began to be controlled by their anger and by their rage, and they started acting out of character. Suddenly, they started doing things that they don't normally do because this rage began to control them. If we say that they were filled with jealousy, what do we mean? We mean that they were controlled by their jealousy. If we say they're filled with joy, they were controlled by, by that. So to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. You, the Bible tells us in Romans 8 and many other places, it says that if you're a truly a child of God, then you have the Holy Spirit. You don't need to get the Holy Spirit. If you're a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit. And in fact, Romans 8 tells us if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a child of God. You can't have Jesus and not have the Holy Spirit. You can't have Jesus and not have God the Father. You can't have God the Father without Jesus, without God the Holy Spirit. They are a package deal. You get one, you get Jesus, you become complete in him and all the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells in him. So you, when you gave your life to Jesus, placed your faith in Christ, the Spirit of God came to live inside of you and you have all of him that you need. You don't lack something. He's there. But he just needs to control your life. Because when you control your life, 
You were powerless to live for Jesus. But when he controls your life, you will start acting in ways that's not natural for you. You'll start acting like him because he's in control and empowering your life. So we're told, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I remember the first time that that actually happened to me that I, I know of. I was about 15 years old. I don't know, I don't remember the events that led up to this moment, but I remember exactly where I was. I was driving down the road on the way to my mom and dad's house about a mile from home. It was in the time of day that the moon had just come up over the horizon. It was like sitting right in the middle of the highway, big orange moon. And for whatever reason, at that moment, I turned my life completely over to God and I gave myself to him and I asked him to take me and fill me with his spirit. And at that moment, for whatever reason, I knew that he had done it. And I'm telling you, it is like I just became controlled by this joy. I was just effervescing joy. I was so excited about Jesus. I wanted to tell everybody in the world about Jesus. I was so in love with Jesus. I just would start talking about Jesus and it was like I couldn't get the words out fast enough. I'm just stumbling over myself. I would begin to read the Bible and this book that I had read since I was a child that so oftentimes had been so boring to me, suddenly that book became alive. Suddenly, I would read the scriptures, and it's like I'd never seen that before. And suddenly, all, all of a sudden, these verses would just speak to me, and I just knew God was talking to me, and I was talking to him, and I'm seeing answers to prayers. I'm seeing God use me, and this is just incredible. My life was completely changed for about two weeks. And I made the mistake of thinking that if I asked him to fill me, that it was one time and done. Just like I asked Jesus to save me, and once I asked Jesus to save me, he did, and I don't have to ever ask him again. He's done it, and he's doing it. Well, I thought to be filled with the Spirit was the same thing. I thought if I ever truly gave myself to him, and ask him to take me, that it was like, okay, now it's done. But I found out that's not the case. If you'll put verse 18 back up, Ephesians 5.18, I want you to see something. It says, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, let's just camp out on that in a minute. The, the language in which this was written, the Greek language, put the, the verbs, be filled it was what was called a present passive imperative. So I want you to see, first of all, it is an imperative. That means it's a command. So this being filled or controlled by the Spirit is something that God commands you and me to do. One of the mistakes that I made early on was that that I prayed and asked him to fill me with the Spirit the first time that he did it. 
I was so, I just had this feeling. I just knew that he had done it. I felt so close to God. I felt so excited, so in love with Jesus, so full of joy. I felt that way. About two weeks later, that feeling's gone. And weeks went by and I finally thought, well, why don't you try it again? And so I got alone with God and I said, God, I really want you to fill me. I give myself to you. Now, Holy Spirit, fill me. Just take my life and control me. And then I waited for this surge of joy. And I waited for this surge of boldness and for this effervescing love and joy and like I'd experienced a couple of weeks before and it didn't happen. And I thought, well, he didn't do it. I don't blame him for not doing it. I wouldn't want me either. I don't deserve it. So then I begin to go through this feeling of, well, maybe, maybe I'm just not good enough for God to want to fill me with the Spirit. Maybe I need to live a more holy life, and if I can live better, then maybe then he'll want to fill me. Or maybe if I pray more, or maybe if I read my Bible more, or maybe if I told more people about Jesus, or if I could just stand a little stronger against temptation, if I could just live better, then maybe he would want me. Problem is, I couldn't live better. So I finally came to this conclusion that maybe this experience of being filled with the Spirit Maybe that's something for special people, for special categories of Christians. You know, people who, you know, like maybe world famous evangelists or, you know, you know, missionaries or, you know, really important Christians. Maybe that maybe it's reserved for those folks, but people like me, maybe God didn't want to do that for me because I don't deserve it. Not good enough. But Ephesians 5:18 commands us to be filled. And the verb is in the second person plural. That means it is you plural. The word used not in the text, but it's implied. So he says, don't be drunk with wine, but you all be filled with the Spirit. All of us. This command by God, is to every one of us, everyone watching me right now who is a child of God, we are all commanded by God to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you a question. Would God ever command you to do something he doesn't want you to do? Would he ever command you to do something that is not his will? Of course not. So the fact that God commands you and me to be filled or controlled by his spirit and he commands all of us to do that, that means God wants this experience for you. It's not reserved for special categories of Christians. It's not reserved as though there is are important Christians and not important Christians. It is all of us are to be experiencing this. This should be the normal Christian life, this supernatural life. The Spirit of God's been given to you. God commanded every one of us to be controlled by his Spirit. Now, I also made the mistake 
as I said earlier, of thinking that this was something that maybe you did one time and then it just lasted the rest of your life. And then my experience proved that that's not true. And so it got to where, you know, maybe several months later, you know, I kept asking God to fill me with his spirit. I didn't feel it. Nothing seemed to change. So I didn't believe he did it. And then one day, maybe six months later, I don't remember why, don't know why, but for whatever reason, I was maybe desperate. I remember being down and just crying out to God, being so desirous of this that I said, oh God, please, please take my life and fill me. For whatever reason, I felt like he did it. And I started going, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And now I believed it because I felt it. The mistake I was making was my faith was in my feelings and in my experience rather than in what God had promised in his word. You see, God commands you and me to allow his Holy Spirit to fill us. And so it is his will to fill us. This verb, be filled, second person plural for all of us, it is a command, but it's also in the present tense, which was the the Greek way of writing that this was to be a continuous action. Not one and done, not one occasionally, but present tense, ever happening. So it is God's plan and God's will for you and me to always be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's his desire. That's his will for you and me. That means since God desires for you and me to be continuously controlled by the Spirit, then it means right this moment he wants to control your life. The Spirit of God in you right this second, desires for you to be filled and controlled by him. This supernatural life, this changed life, whereby Jesus Christ begins to live his life through you supernaturally, and you begin to experience God in in incredible ways, and this fruitfulness begins to happen, and the word of God becomes alive, and your love for Jesus becomes more and more pronounced, and you are full of him, that is God's plan for you and me continuously at any moment. It is second person plural, imperative, a command, present tense continuously, but it's also passive voice. If you remember anything about your English grammar, you remember that active voice means that the subject is taking action, doing something. Passive means something is happening to the subject, right? So to be filled with the Spirit is something God does for me. It's something I need him to do for me. So he commands me to let him do this for me. In fact, He commands us to voluntarily let him control us. That's exactly what it says. I want all of you, I'm commanding all of you 
to voluntarily let the Spirit of God continuously control you, control your life. That's what the passage says. So let me ask you this. If he's going to control you, but he commands us to voluntarily do it, that means God won't make you do this. He could, but he won't. Just like he won't make you give your life to Jesus and be saved. He wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth, but he won't make you be saved. He wants you to be living a victorious, fruitful life. He's given the Spirit of God who lives in you. The power is there. The person is there to make this happen. You are one moment away from this. This could be true of your experience, but he won't make you do it. But step number one in experiencing this supernatural life is recognizing that if he's going to control me, I can't control myself. I have to give up control of my life to him. It's sort of like if you're driving a car and let's say you're going to teach your teenager to drive. They're in the passenger seat, but you are in control. You can explain to them all the fundamentals of driving. You can model it for them. You can do all the kind of thing. But if you're ever going to really teach them to drive, the day's going to have to come. You're going to have to put them in the driver's seat. You're going to have to give them control, right? And that is scary. And every parent wishes they had one of those driver's ed cards that had a second set of brakes, second steering wheel, so that at any moment we can just take it right back. When we don't like the direction they're going, we don't like how they're doing it, we could just take it right back over. Many of us try to do that with God, don't we? We give ourselves to God until he starts going down a street we don't want to go down, and we want to pull it back and take back control. But to be controlled by the Spirit means, okay, I've got to turn loose So I'm giving myself to you right this moment. Take me where you want me to go. Everything I have is yours. I'll do what you want me to do. And that's step number one. He will not control what you retain control of. You and I must yield ourselves to him. But here's something I learned. That's just step one. You can be a yielded Christian and still be defeated. That was true of me a lot. I sincerely would say, oh, Lord, I don't want to live this way. I want to be what you want me to be. I want to do good. I want to be used by you. So, Lord, just take me. And I was sincere but I didn't get filled with the Spirit. And the reason why? Because I didn't believe it happened. I didn't add faith to it. And everything about the Christian life has to do with faith. I mean, Jesus died on the cross for you 2,000 years ago. At any moment in your life, 
he would have saved you. But when did he do it? When you had faith in him, right? From the moment you gave your life to Jesus, the Spirit of God came to live within you, and he is there wanting you to allow him to control you supernaturally, but he will not do it till you allow him to, until you trust him to do it. And when you trust him, when you by faith believe he's done it, not that he's going to do it, but that he has done it, that's when the power begins to be manifested in your life. That's when it happens. So you start with yielding control, and then you ask him, Spirit of God, you take control. You empower me. Do with me what you want to do. Now, we're commanded to do this. Now, 1 John 5, 14 says, 14 and 15, this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. If we know he hears us, we know we have the petition we desire of him. So in other words, shorten that, if you ask something according to God's will, you can know he's going to answer. So if God is commanding you today to be filled with his spirit, if the spirit of God in you wants that to be true for you right now continuously, if you were to right this moment yield yourself to him and ask him to control you, would he do it? He says he would. It's his will. If you ask anything according to his will, he will do it. Now, faith takes God at his word. Faith says, okay, God, I've done what you've told me to do. Now I thank you. You've done what you said you would do. So thank you. So, Lord, I give myself to you. Spirit of God, fill me. Take me right now. Supernaturally empower me to live like you want me to live. Now thank you that you've done it. And the very next step I take will be in the power of the Holy Spirit. Faith. Faith in God's word, not faith in your feelings. You see, that was my mistake for so often. I would yield myself. I'd say, Lord, just take me. And then I would wait for this surge of power. I would wait for this feeling. I would wait for the joy. I would wait for the boldness. I would wait for this experience to happen. And if I felt something, then I believed it. But if I didn't feel it, I didn't believe it. And the, the moment I yielded myself and asked him to fill me, he did. But then the moment I didn't believe it, I grieved him. Because whatever is not of faith, the Bible says, is sin. So here was my experience. Oh, God, fill me. He did. I don't believe he did it. He did. He now is not. And that was my problem. And that's the problem that many of you have today. You don't, you don't believe he's done it. You keep waiting for something to happen to prove to you that he's done it when he promised he would do it and faith comes before the feelings. So the exciting news today is your life can be different from this moment on. If you sincerely would yield yourself to him, ask him to control you and then take him at his word, and start saying, thank you, God, that you've done it, whether you feel it or not. 
Thank you that I am right this moment filled and empowered with your spirit. I believe you and thank you when I walk out of here in a moment, I'm walking out of here in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you do that, the spirit of God will be in control of your life. Now next week, I want to continue this and talk to you about well, how do you live this continuously? Well, that's next week's subject. But today, it starts with, will you yield yourself to him? Will you ask him to fill you? And will you take him at his word that he has done it? Will you do that? I want you to bow your heads. Maybe you're listening to me right now. Maybe you're listening live. Maybe you, this is recorded and you've watched, you're watching it at a later time. Maybe you're in this room and you've never, ever given your life to Jesus Christ and asked him to be your savior and to come into your life, make you a child of God. The Bible tells us that this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. It's a gift. But this life is in his son, Jesus. And he who has the son has life, but he who has not the son has not life. So God is willing for you to live with him forever. He wants that. He wants you to have a relationship with him. He wants to forgive you of your sins give you a home in heaven, eternal life, and so much more. But he offers that to you in his son. Because the Bible says the wages of our sin is death or separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God offers you his son Jesus. It was Jesus who died on the cross to pay for your sins. It was Jesus who rose from the dead on the third day as proof that his payment for your sins was accepted by God. And so if you would today cry out to Jesus and say, I ask you, Lord Jesus, to save me from my sins, he would do it. He promises in his word that everyone who will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So do you want Jesus to save you from your sins, make you a child of God, forgive you, give you a brand new start in life, give you eternal life? All of that is yours. It's a free gift, but it's offered to you and his son, Jesus. So you, will you cry out to Jesus right now? You do that through just asking him, through prayer. Maybe you're not comfortable with that, but just pray something like this. Just say, Lord Jesus, I know that I have disobeyed you a lot. And I've lived my life like I wanted to instead of how you want me to. And my disobedience, my sin has separated me from you. It's created a barrier between us that I cannot remove. But I believe Jesus died on the cross 
to pay for my sin. And I believe he rose again from the dead. And now, Lord Jesus, I ask you, save me from my sins. Come into my life. Give me eternal life, a relationship with God, a home in heaven. From this day forward, I will follow you. I give myself to you. Thank you for hearing my prayer, for doing what you promised and saving me now from my sins. If you just prayed that prayer or something like it and you meant it, then I'd like to welcome you to the family of God because the Bible says God just changed your life in eternity. Doesn't matter whether you feel it yet or not. I hope, hopefully you do. But if you didn't feel it, that has nothing to do with it. If you were sincere and you took God at his word, faith is believing God will do what he said he will do. And God just heard your prayer. And so the Bible tells us that there's a celebration going on in heaven right now over the decision you just made. We'd like to celebrate with you too. And that's the purpose of a church. It's once a person comes to know Jesus, then we help them know, well, what do I do next? What's, what's next? How do I do this? That's what we exist for. So if you just prayed that prayer with me, would you take the gray card that's in the seat back in front of you and just check the box that says, I prayed today to ask Jesus to save me from my sins. Put your name and a number on there. And when you walk out today, take that card, drop it in the offering box as you go out. And someone from the church will contact you this week to talk with you just a minute and hopefully set up a time at your convenience where we could just get to know you and help you with this new relationship you have with God. We'd really count it an honor if you'd let us do that. Maybe some of you would like to join our church. Then the way you do that is take the gray card, check the box that says, I want to pursue membership, drop it in the box, and someone will call you this week, text you, contact you, and say, here's what you do next. Simple process, and they will lay that out and help you do that. If you're our guest here today, I hope that you were blessed by being here. I hope your life was changed, that you'll never be the same. I also hope you'll come back next week as we continue this study on how do you walk in the Spirit, stay in step with Him, and live this life supernaturally, continuously. We'll talk about that next week. But if you were our guest and you were blessed today, would you let us know that by taking the blue card that's in the seat back in front of you? Just take 10 seconds, write your name, number, email, just drop it in the box as you make your way out. And I promise we're not going to bug you. We just want to connect with you and say thank you for coming. And I hope that you'll do that. All of you, as you make your way out today, don't forget to give your offerings to the Lord. I know he'll be pleased. And every offering you give to him right now, one day when you stand before him, you'll be so glad that you did. So I hope that you'll do that. I have uh, some good news for you. I'd like to introduce to you some folks who said, we want to be a part of this church, Steve and Tracy Neal. Where are you? There, I knew I'd seen you. There they are right there. Raise your hand up real high. Steve and Tracy, welcome to the church family. We are delighted to have you today.
God bless you. We're so excited. We had uh, several families join in the first service this morning, so we bless the Lord. I went by the, we have a new members class, and it was full in there this morning. It's meeting right now of folks who are about to join the church, and so we're so excited about all that God is doing. Well, right before we go, next week, in between the two services, from about 10.30 to 11 o'clock, so right before this one begins, we're going to have a short church-wide business meeting. I want to invite you to come because every year we adopt a budget as a church, and that budget, you know, is a spending plan that as we have prayed and we've sought, well, what is God, we think God wants us to do this year, then how do we allocate the money to make that happen? And so that's something the church votes on and agrees with. And so we're going to present that during a short business meeting between the services next week. So come a little early next week. If you're our guest, you're welcome to come. Uh, you can find a whole lot about us by what happens in business meetings. I think you'll be pleased. And so I hope you'll come. Then two weeks from today, we're going to begin a church-wide eight-week emphasis where we are going to seek the Lord together. And through some daily materials we're going to give you that are going to bless your life, some weekly Bible studies we're going to do in our small groups that are going to be on how to listen to God. You're going to learn how to learn how to listen to God's voice. And then together, we're going to all seek the Lord, hear Him speak to us, and at the end of the eight weeks, come up with what we together as a church, by faith, believe God wants to do through our church over the next three years. It's going to be an exciting, life-changing time for our church, for many hopefully thousands of people. And so I hope that you'll come two weeks from now and bring somebody with you as well. So let's stand together. Father, I want to pray for your people, for those in the room, for those who are watching right now, for those who are listening. Your desire for them is for the Spirit of God to live through them supernaturally today. And I just ask that every one of us who know you would begin to experience that consistent victory that is given by the Spirit of God. I pray that we would be changed. I pray for those here today that maybe gave their life to Christ or need to give their life to Christ. I pray that you would draw them to yourself and help them understand what they need to do to come to know you. Lord, bless your people. Bless this church. Put your hand on this church and use us to touch the lives of thousands. We have been given by you the message of Jesus, the gospel, that is the power of God unto salvation. Help us to get that message out of the four walls of this church, out of this community, and across the world. Would you lead us empower us to do that. I know it's your will. So thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here today. You are dismissed. God bless you.